0: Bad On Bears fans, another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast coming your way. Pat, the designer, Courtney Cronin. We got Bears news on the pod. Chicago Bears have finally hired their wide receiver coach. Got to talk about that. Chris Beatty is in the room, ladies and gentlemen. What is he going to bring to this Bears wide receiving core? Got to get the insight from Courtney on that. And of course... We got plenty of offensive needs. We broke down the defensive needs on Thursday. Now we got to break down what the offensive needs and where they're going to be addressed at. All that and more in today's episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the page. Leave that five star review. Y'all know what to do. Courtney, how are you? I'm
1: good. I'm good. It's Senior Bowl week, so it's going to be fun to follow along with what's going on down in Mobile. I'm not there this year, but I've gone in years past. It's a great event. Uh, It's your first chance to really see some of the bigger names in the draft. Now the bears are there. Uh, the quarterbacks that they're probably interested in taking, if they go stay at number one are not there. So the names that we're looking at this week will be uh, Michael Penix, Jr. from Washington and Bo Nix from Oregon. The others are either juniors that have declared early or are not at the senior bowl, but it'll be interesting to see which names emerge. I remember I was actually like, thinking about this when I was looking at our defensive stuff last week uh, when we were doing the the podcast on, like, some of their big free agent needs. And I always say his name wrong. um, I think it's Jost. Josh Uchi, the guy from Michigan, mm-hmm. like the defensive end, um, like he was an outside linebacker defensive end. I remember first seeing him a couple years ago at the Combine, and he rose up draft boards very quickly uh, going into that COVID uh, draft in 2020. So, I mean, there's always some big riser that comes out of the senior bowl, and heck, like the Bears found Tyson Bajent there last year. So it's certainly a, a nice breeding ground for talent and to be able to start you know, manipulating the draft board, and as you get it set towards uh, the, you know, the, the bulk of the off season in about a couple of weeks, this should be a good chance for this team to come away with more intel on players.
0: Yeah, there's going to be a lot of it. I think the the spot the Bears are probably looking at most down there, right, would probably be that wide receiver room as well as uh, maybe a little running back. There's always a, some good running back action at the senior bowl. Get a little fifth round pick in there. Yeah, I mean, it's always, that's, how, that's how I like to pick my running backs. That's how I live my life. Uh, but I do want to talk about this hire of Chris Beatty because I feel like Yet again, the Chicago Bears making a really logical, really good hire. For most of us, Courtney, this is not something that we're used to. Normally, this is a, you know, they went out and just got a guy who was a buddy of a guy. <laughs> they bring him in. And you're just like, oh, okay, this is a part of a thing. Like, what's he What's he done? Well, you know, he knows him. Now we're seeing a guy who's not only has been a part of what I would say one of the elite wide receiver classes went healthy over there in Los Angeles. But a guy who's worked with DJ Moore in his past as well what can the Bears expect from Chris Beatty coming in here and working with the wide receivers we have?
1: Yeah, I think the big thing you look at first is why they parted ways with uh, their last staff. And there were five members of that group, including Tyke Tolbert. And Tyke was awesome. Like, I mean, it's it's a shame for us to have as media members to have him go. He was a wealth of knowledge. He would always take time to explain why things happened a certain way, why things didn't. I think he was faced with some really tough questions that he answered very true this year whether it was about um you know the the chase claypool situation early on about darnell mooney regressing and what led to that to some of the tyler scott drops and why it felt like he was getting opportunity but wasn't capitalizing on it obviously the last two years he's been asked every which way about phelis jones but within (laughs) being asked about those questions you still saw a lack of development i mean your top guy and dj moore you know I don't want to like simplify things, but I think regardless of whomever the coach would be in that room, DJ Moore would shine regardless. He is that talented. He is an alpha. He's a number one. He's, you know, He's good. Um, But you've got some younger guys in that room, and they're probably going to be adding to that room via the draft. They have to because when you have a wide receiver who, you know, was head and shoulders above everybody else, but then you don't have another wide receiver who scored a touchdown last year, that's a problem. So to get somebody who has developed wide receivers from the high school level and college level first and foremost – the track record for Chris Beatty goes all the way back to like Percy Harvin, um, at the high school level. And then, you know, I, I tweeted it out this morning, um, when I broke the story that he, you know, has coached, I think it was 13 years in college, everywhere from like West Virginia, Virginia, NIU, Hampton. Um, he's been a lot of different places. And then in the NFL level, you know, after 13 years in college, he went to the Chargers for the last three seasons. But, like, listen to some of these names uh, that were under him at various points of his career, Percy Harvin, Tavon Austin, Will Johnson, Stedman Bailey, um, Jared Appardaris, uh Jordan Matthews, you know, even, even Jordan Addison in his first year at Pitt, because um, Chris Beatty during Jordan Addison's, like, you know, his really good season that he had as a sophomore before transferring to USC – Beatty was with the Chargers at that time. But the key here is wide receiver development. Um, I think it doesn't hurt that DJ Moore played for Chris Beatty at Maryland, um, you know, for two seasons, 2016 and 2017, before he became a first-round pick himself. The familiarity there is always going to be a good thing. And I actually thought back on it this morning because I remember when we were talking to DJ – about his offseason or his exit interview with Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus, he said, "You guys are going to see soon um, if they, you know, if what I said in there stuck more or less, if they're going to do what I suggested." And of course, you could infer because that happened on a Monday and then Wednesday the coaching staff changed significantly on offense. I'll be very curious to see how much DJ may have vouched um, for Chris Beatty when we get a chance to talk with him at some point during the offseason because this was obviously a person that he knows intimately and somebody who, as he was getting ready to be a first-round draft pick by Carolina in 2018, helped get him ready for that. And and Maryland, obviously, like, you know, Maryland's developed a ton of receivers. This guy coached, you know – I don't know how much of the overlap would have been there. Everyone, I'm now I'm thinking of it because I was just thinking about Stefan Diggs because Maryland's turned out a lot of really good receivers. Like DJ Moore isn't the only name, but like Diggs was there. I think he left in 20. He was a fourth round pick in 2015. So I never mind that I said any of that because like I was just trying to like think of more names that I may have forgotten. But yeah, like obviously it all stands on its own. And then when you look at what Chris Beatty's done in the NFL. Like he had, you're right, Pat, like that's a really talented room when healthy, when everything's going right. um, It always feels that the Chargers underachieve and it's not just the receiver room, but Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, even Quentin Johnson, who had an up and down rookie season. But like that's a really talented room. And so it's, it's a good thing that the bears found somebody that they believe can help the room that they currently have develop. And then the guys that they're going to get outside of the, that are currently outside of the organization.
0: Yeah. And I think, right, like you got some guys here who you want to see still have that development outside of just DJ Moore. Right. What what are they going to do with Darnell Mooney? That's going to be a major question. If he's here, you need to see him start to get back to the ways that he had previously and not what we've seen the last couple of years. Uh, What's going on with Tyler Scott? Mm -hmm. Tyler Scott looked like he was really good, but there's some real fundamental things to being a wide receiver that you have to do that he didn't do. Number one, catch the ball, sure. right? And, and I'm assuming that those are things that can grow, but there is this, you, you've you drafted two wide receivers in Ryan Pohl's time here that you felt like should have been able to make some sort of impact, especially with how much they were utilized over the last couple of years. And Bayless just injury issues his first year. The second year, the trust felt like it was gone offensively pretty much. And so can you develop something out of that? And then on the flip side of that, Tyler Scott, right? He was the number, uh, for lack of, I guess, once Chase Claypool was gone, he was kind of your number two target that Justin was going to in a lot of those situations outside of Cole Komet, just on the receiving, uh, wide receivers in the room. If that's what you expect him to be, you're going to need to see a lot more. And so... Bringing a guy like this in who, yes, Quentin Johnson going through an up-and-down season, but it felt like towards the end of the season you got a little bit more up than down. You you want to see a guy that can come in and get the most out of these young guys, and that's what it feels like all of these hires to me have been.
1: Yeah, and I think one thing, too, when you point out Valus Jones and Tyler Scott, the two that were drafted under Ryan Poles, Finding more polished receivers too, somebody whose expertise is coaching that position is going to be a part of it, which of course is going to require using higher draft capital, day one draft capital, day two draft yeah. capital. Um, because Tyler Scott was a very raw product when he got into the NFL. Like he's been very honest about that. He didn't start playing receivers he was drafted, he was recruited as an athlete, um, you know, to to Cincinnati. He played a multitude of positions, and he still more or less, learning how to be a very proficient wide receiver and not just a track star out there. I mean, he was a great punk gunner in college, like trying to figure out what his role is on this team. That's where Chris ba- Beatty comes in. And then, of course, with Velas, you know, the issues quieted towards the end of the season because I think they did become so much more pronounced with Darnell Mooney and, like, his regression. Yeah. And, of course, you know, who's to blame for that? Is it the quarterback? Is it the receiver? Is it the receiver's coach? Well, now it's a moot point if they're going to keep him around. And if they don't, there's a free agent class to look at that actually has better names, I think, than last year's free agent group of wide receivers. And then to find someone day one, day two, that you can trust could be utilized right away in this offense, critical no matter who the quarterback is.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, The evaluation of that, because I think the part that a lot of Bears fans that sticks in a lot of Bears fans mind is you had a chance to draft some really good receivers. Were you just not looking at that? Were was the the assessment of what those receivers could have been? Not exactly what it was. Right. So I think it does speak to right. we go back. I I always go back and I look at, you know, some of those draft choices that the Bears made. And it's not that they didn't work out right. But When you go with a defensive player over somebody who could have been a premier receiver for a quarterback that needs premier receivers, those questions are always going to pop up. Okay. What was your evaluation of this guy? And at a minimum, I do think right. I do think Quentin Johnston will be a good receiver. If he's in the room and he's helping make those decisions, you feel a little bit more comfortable Mm -hmm. about, uh, uh, him coming in here to Chicago so I'm excited on the Chris Beatty hire I feel like this is going to be a a good one for the Bears I feel like this is uh, a situation where you're rounding out a staff that to me maybe it's not the best staff that you could have gotten but as far as development wise I think you're getting some of the best names on the market here and that does excite me with this it's a
1: trend because you've seen and it's no knock against the previous staff but Luke Getzey came from a place where his quarterback was Aaron Rodgers. What do you develop in there? Like, you know what I mean? The guy's a, the guy's a hall of famer. Like coaching him is different than coaching someone who really does need the time on task, the classroom education, the coaching. Um, In that when you have Shane Waldron, you take a look at, Who did he help at different points of their career? And, again, I know you and I have talked about this. Like, where does the offensive coordinator stop in Los Angeles and where does the Shane Waldron effect uh, rise (laughs) to? Like, oh, Jared Goff was great at this, that, and the other thing because of Shane Waldron. But regardless, a lot of different quarterbacks under his tutelage. And then when he became the OC in, in Seattle, you can see the direct effect on what the offense looked like. Same thing with a Chris Beatty. Like I, I and I'm excited to see. You know, there's one more hire that you know the big one to be made, which would be the running backs coach. Um, yeah. None of these guys have had ties to coach. You know, to, to Matt Eberflus at any other point. None of them have worked on. You know, a Kansas City staff that Ryan Poles had been a part of before he got to the Bears. That's encouraging to me. That's showing that they're going outside of the familiar circle. That they, you know, obviously that's always like the easiest thing to do. Who do I know? Who has a good reputation? Who can I call to verify that this might be the right, right. hire? And they obviously still do that. But I think it shows that they're doing things differently and they're doing their homework that goes, you know, maybe kind of like the extra credit part of the homework where you're not just going with a comfortable option. And then you see like in two places, like, you know, at least what they're touting is that it's the development aspect of the quarterbacks, the development aspect of the wide receivers that helps them believe this offense can make the next step. And, of course, on the flip side of that with Eric Washington as the defensive coordinator, um, you know they, they clearly feel there because he is such a pass rush specialist with the defensive line that that can be part of their growth up front um, right. next year as well. So, good, I mean, Matt Eberflus has been honest. He says he wants good teachers. First and foremost. And I I do think that that's important. It's coaches knowing how they can teach other coaches how to coach and then be able to coach those players based on a certain way. And that's from day one. That was one of his first things that he, he said was like really, really important to the staff working.
0: And you have to have good teachers right when you're a defensive minded guy at the head coaching position, because if Shane Waldron comes in and he fixes Justin Fields or he turns Caleb Williams into a superstar quarterback, guess where he's not going to (laughs) be? The offensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears. That means you need to teach guys (laughs) so that you can keep that system in place or keep something similar. You would like I think how most coaches would like it is you can kind of build that tree within your organization where the OC moves on. We promoted this guy because he's ready to go now because Shane Waldron was such a good teacher. He knows everything he needs to know. It's not just teaching the players. I, I love how Flew said that. It's being able to teach the coaches as well to prepare them for what their next step could yeah,
1: be. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the sign of a successful coaching. Um, I don't want to say tree just yet. We don't want to get ahead coaching of it. Coaching no, that's ladder. That's a wonderful yeah, way yeah. to put it. Thank you for that. Um, it's like you got to be able to – pet like, you can't have things – like, Iberflus wants things done a certain way. I mean, the hits principle exists because that's how he wants guys to play. But then when it comes to coaching, you got to make sure that everyone's on the same page with how things are being taught to the players. But the coaches, it starts first and foremost this offseason. What do meetings look like? What are the structure of practices going to look like? And having people from outside of the organization come in and now be able to put their stamp on – the way that players are taught is, is part of the overall thing, not just like, okay, let's get some really good players in here, whether it's a new quarterback, whether it's, um, you know, obviously new receivers, and then just like go ahead and coach them the way that you, you know, have done at every other place. It's it's making sure that everybody knows, like because he's going to have to link up with Shane Waldron at some point, um, and Shane Waldron's going to have to build a new identity for this offensive staff because it's his staff. Um, again, I'll be really excited to see – Like what his uh, influence is with Chris Beatty here. I mean, West Coast guys, I guess it's really the only tie that's there. It's like, you know, (laughs) one was in the AFC West, one was in the NFC West. It's not like they had that much overlap, which which is not like the worst thing when you don't have guys who are, you know, it's not cronyism. It's not somebody has a tie to somebody else and that's the reason that that person's hired. It's, going out and really finding the best candidate for the job, which, you know, you got to trust at this point until we see it, that that's the process that they followed. And you can really only judge them on the type of hires they've made, the time that they've taken to make these hires based on how these people have performed at their previous stops.
0: Does it feel like this is a... Because we had Greg Gabriel on and he was talking about how the difference that's kind of come in to the modern NFL is front offices are helping make a lot of these coaching decisions now Mm -hmm. as far as hiring assistants, hiring out, you know, the wide receiver coaches, things like that. Does this feel like this is Ryan Poles saying these are some guys that we've scouted out. We feel like you should take a look at them and see if you want to work with them. Or does this feel like a Matt Eberflus? he's going out and trying to figure this all out.
1: It's certainly, I hate using the collaboration word, but it's definitely a collaborative process. And Ryan Poles hinted that that was going to be the case. When we asked him at the season-ending press conference about, you know, how much of a role are you going to have in these, you know, in hiring the new coaches? Because they had a defensive coordinator and five members of the offensive staff to hire fluce's expertise is on the defensive side of the ball. Of course, you have people you've been he's been coaching for 30 something years, he could fill out an offensive staff if he wanted to, but then you want to make sure you're getting it right. And I agree with that. I think that front offices, it's not just that, you know, when you have a pro staff, it's not just hiring, or it's not just going after players and free agency and, you know, scouting, you know, being, you know, scouting advanced, advanced opponents, like it's, it's, t- it's making sure that, like, your shortlist of candidates for coaches, for positions, all of those things, for different positions, is up to where it needs to be because the crossovers between teams, like, you taking, like, every every scout, every pro scout in the NFL, let's take a look at, like, um, training camp, for example. Like, first off, they're all, like, in their free agency meetings right now, and they've all done cross-checks. But during training camp, scouts are responsible However, they divvy it up. Every team's different. Like scouts are responsible for looking at 31 other teams, cutting 31 other teams' rosters down from 90 to 53, and within that process, you're also having the overlap of seeing what coaches are doing, what players, how players are thriving under coaches. Like they they get the whole, they absorb the whole thing. So it's right. not, you know, I think a lot of people look at this and. I'm just like using like the Sean, like Sean Payton and, you know, Mike McCarthy and like people who have been head coaches for a long time. They have trees. They have people that like they could go and like call up their Rolodex for, or go look in your iPhone. Nobody has a Rolodex. Um, like look up, like just type in. <laughs> There's
0: an entire generation of people exactly. you just confused. Um, like what the heck is a Rolodex? Just like
1: look at your long list of coaches. You just type in wide receiver on your phone. If you're Kyle Shanahan, you're going to have a crap ton of coaches that you could pick from like matt Eberflus has been doing this for has been a head coach for two years the the lineage the 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 amount of coaches that he would have to be able just to like pick a couple on a dime and say i want to interview these guys it's shorter so to be able to form a good staff the front office has to get involved and it's not saying that like they're the ones who have the ultimate say it's a coaching staff and you know week nine matt Eberflus, it was his decision to part ways to fire David Walker, um, you know, and, and Ryan Poles part of that too, like, and I'm not trying to like put That's not new news, just because we need to make that right. stuff clear. But like the head coach will have the chance to, like in what Eberflus told us during the uh, press conference, like, he was the one who parted ways with the offensive staff. Like, he's the head coach. It's his prerogative. But then when you're hiring coaches, you want to make sure you get it right. Because if you don't, you're probably in a position where you're, like, you know, looking for new coaches. And you might be out of a job at some point if you can't get the coaches right. So I think the trust that he and Ryan Poles have built within each other and their process, this se- I'm sure this is something he welcomes. Like, hey, let's get more voices in the room. Let's try to figure out, which candidate we're going to go with based on all of the information that's available to us and not having it just be like, you know, I covered Mike Zimmer for a long time. He was the head coach in Minnesota from 2014 through 2021. He had a long list of coaches that had coached under him. Um, A lot of different offensive coordinators, which is neither here nor there, but like, you know, when you, when you've been doing it that long and you're up there in that, that class of NFL coach who has tenure then you can go to your short list and be like, oh, "I'm just like I like this guy. He's good. I know this guy. Like that's not the way they're doing it, and I think this is probably a better process because of it."
0: Yeah, I think I think this is a safer way to do it because a lot of times they right like you <laughs> I, you, I, you
1: eliminate more blind spots by doing it this way. I think that's a good thing.
0: I, I take Mike Zimmer into account, right? Because he wanted Gary Kubiak. And when Gary didn't work, Gary did like the Western thing. He was like, send the boy and, you know. Well, was, Gary wanted to retire. You know,
1: Gary like, was you know in I mean? retirement, and Zim was like, please, for love of God, come out of retirement. <laughs> I need you. And then Gary's like, right. all right, I'll give you one year, my guy. And then, yeah. then handed it off to Clint Kubiak, his son, who at the time was the quarterback's coach. So you know, the nepotism angle was alive and well there. And that was brought up a whole bunch.
0: Um, But Yeah, and it's, it's it's, you know, he has his guys that he's the most comfortable with. And then there's the other guys. And so when you don't get those guys, a lot of times it feels like coaches are trying to force things. Like you said, it eliminates the blind spots. Mm -hmm. That's why I actually liked the fact that it feels like this is a collaborative effort. I like that, but still, I think the one thing that, that, intrigues me most is it still does feel like, which I guess surprises me a little bit, Fluce is the CEO.
1: As he wants to be. That's his role.
0: Yeah, immediately he comes out and he's like, no, it was my choice to dismiss the offensive staff. That mm-hmm. was on, yeah, that's that's what I wanted to do. I felt like we needed more there. Okay, alright, Fluce boss moves out well, that's here. that's what I I like head to coach
1: does. That. Like a front office, yeah. unless like there's some sort of weird stuff going on, like a front office doesn't fire um you know, fire coaches without the coach having the final say on that. And I mean, like the David Walker situation I brought up, obviously there were some HR issues there, which yeah, is, you know, someone. there was, there was like team rules that, you know, was led to, it was such but it a was, long but it was obviously like Matt Eberflus has the ultimate say on who's on yeah. his staff and who's not, but like, that doesn't mean that it's like him making, you know, he's somebody who, like if you like Flus, if you don't like Flus, if you think he's a good coach, whatever. Like his, e- like the ego part of it. I think in terms of like, no, it's only who, we're only interviewing the candidates that I want to hire. The offensive coordinator search would debunk any sort of myth of that because they interviewed nine different candidates, and you know they've they really have, you know, not to use a cliche, they've done their due diligence. They have yeah. done their homework on this, and that's why they're hoping to get it right this time around, as opposed to. Learn you know, and learning from what they what went wrong the first time around, which of course it was a rushed process because Poles and Abrafluis were hired within days of each other. You only have a certain amount of time before you can like, you know, be, to, to get your offensive staff together, right. um, that's not easy, and your defensive staff together too. But like, obviously, he had guys that he had known more more intimately, um, having been a defensive coach for so many years. But this is right. this was not a rushed process. This was a process that they really took their time with, and if it works out, then they're going to bear the fruits of that because they they really put a lot of thought into it.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see what this staff is going to finish out as, how it's all going to round out, feel like they're doing a lot of things that speak to issues that the Bears definitely had this season. Hit that like button, subscribe to the page, guys. Let us know how you feel in the comments below on this offensive staff. Now we got to talk about some of the players that are uh, available in different ways and some of the players that we're going to need on this team because the one thing about the Bears is the Bears did improve talent-wise last year offensively. But I think we got through like, I want to say probably halfway through the season, and we had a caller call in on the post-post game show on ESPN 1000, and he basically said, outside of DJ Moore, who's your best receiver? And it hadn't clicked with me because Cole Komet had caught so many passes at that point, but to me, when you look at the wide receiver room right now, there's so many just like good guys. I like Tyler Scott. I like Darnell Mooney. I, I like Velas Jones as, as a person. I don't know if I, I like him as a receiver on the field, right? But, like, you had Chase Claypool at one point, but he ends up getting shipped out of here, and the curse seems like it's real. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, it feels like there's so much more needed with this wide receiver room. To me, outside of the quarterback position, mm-hmm. that has to be the one spot you're looking Top closest priority. at right
1: now. Top priority. And you're right, because it's always felt like the last couple of years, even, I mean... The first year of the new staff, the first year of the new regime, I mean, fields, the, the roster was stripped down where Darnell Mooney finishing with 493 yards, leading receivers. Obviously, that's such an insane number to think about when you take a look at what DJ Moore did in year one, career high in receptions, yeah. or career high in receiving yards, receiving yards per game, receiving touchdowns. Um, but then that was it. And I know, like... Part of me thinks with the whole Darnell Mooney and Justin Fields, like, what happened? Um, Mooney didn't just forget how to play football, how to catch, uh, you know, how to be on the same page with his quarterback. I don't believe any of that. You know, his regression, I think, is a product of a number of different things. Could coaching be one of those things? Sure. Um, could quarterback play be a bigger one of those things? Probably, which I I know when you take a look at the numbers, and I, I just pulled them up, obviously with um, – you know, Justin Fields' top two targets are DJ Moore and Cole Komet. And then there is a massive drop off uh, to yep. where, D- where Darnell Mooney is. And I correct what I said earlier, like that he had one touchdown. Uh, that was, I believe, the Green Bay game. So it was really, really early on in the season. And, um, but that's not acceptable. However, my biggest pause here would be if it's Justin Fields at quarterback. What if they bring in somebody else, like in in, you know, that you still get that same sort of drop-off where there is one guy that this quarterback locks in on, and a receiver who has had a successful season the way that Darnell Mooney did in 2021 doesn't look like that version of himself in the offense? Then you've got a real big problem. And they, meaning the coaching staff, the front office, They're ultimately the ones that know that, whether it's a Justin Fields problem, whether it was the offense's problem, whether it was a wide receiver, uh, you know, self-regression problem, because there's a lot of names out there in free agency, certainly the draft, um, and it's going to depend what they do with that number one pick, because I did a podcast yesterday and the thought from some Bears fans is that you can trade out of number one and get Marvin Harrison Jr., you probably aren't going past four if you're doing that. Um,
0: you, you're, you're only getting to three. Like,
1: probably. yeah, Arizona at four would probably be like the last stop, but there's others that are available. And I just, I think about, I asked DJ this at the end of the season, like, what would you think if there was another version of you, meaning a very talented top tier wide receiver playing opposite you? Um, Cause I've seen that happen. I've saw it happen. When, you know, Adam Thielen was, was nearing the peak of his career. And then they bring Justin Jefferson into that offense. And maybe Justin's not the best example. Cause he's a thoroughbred. The guy is on another planet for how good he is. But right. like the Diggs and Thielen, uh, duo that I got to cover for a couple of years in Minnesota and having a true number three receiver, whether it was all the way back to Jerry is right to KJ Osborne. Um, like that can really help the layers of this offense. So where a quarterback doesn't have to feel like he's locking in on one guy, balancing out the depth chart, and they've got some talent in the room right now. I'm not saying they don't. I'd love to see what Tyler Scott becomes in his second season and how they can develop him. But they've got to get more talent in that room, um, and then they'll see. I mean, you know, there the free agency happens likely before they. Trade the number one overall pick, but then what they do in the draft to surround whether it's Fields or another quarterback with more talent, like regardless of who it is, that has to happen. You just hope that you you make the right decision on a quarterback who can utilize all of his talent around him.
0: Yeah, and I, I think the part that's interesting is there's so many options at this right. The Bears not only have the draft capital where they can go out and get a uh, MJ or MHJ or maybe a Romo Dunze, uh, but you also have the free agency to available to you as well and the free agent wide receiver list this year Better than years looks past. pretty ridiculous. Yeah,
1: And I know T Higgins name is always coming up like for a, even like last year. Um, Cause it was kind of the idea that, all right, they're not going to be able to play at pay everybody, whether it's Joe burrow and then yeah. Jamar chase, like is T Higgins going to be the odd man out. And um, you know, he's a name. I don't know what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to do with Mike Evans. I think that they'd be foolish to let him out of the room or out of the team. But like, they had a chance to pay the dude. <laughs> they didn't. Maybe he's like, Mm-mm, I don't want to stay here. Who knows? But I mean
0: Well, what not the wasn't that the thing? Didn't last offseason he basically said, I don't want to be here. And they were like, Well, you're here. Like, we don't know what to well, tell you. He, this he, he, wa- he
1: wanted a contract extension yeah. and they couldn't come to an agreement on, on one. So his agent put out a very lengthy statement on on how he felt the organization had handled things all of Mike Evans accomplishments t- till that point point. and then what does he do again he has like his 11th straight um 1000 t- yard receiving season like the guy led the league had the tied for the league lead in touchdowns this year like he 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 he's showing no signs it's of dropping off Mayfield. too like he's you know in his what is he late 20s like early 30s yeah he, did, yeah, he was awesome this year I, I think they'd be foolish to not pay him but in the price is only going gonna go up on him will he make top tier wide receiver money at yeah you know, let's see how old Mike Evans is I think he's 30 um, yeah he's 30 he'll be 31 this season probably still top 10 money um, but like the yeah. receiver class of free agents this year just feels so vastly different than years past like which is the reason remember last year uh that's the reason that ryan poles made the trade for chase claypool because it was like nelson Aguilar, juju smith schuster um like just not a lot of big names that would be out there but this year you can go to free agency you can find a t higgins who he's got the size he's got the route running ability um to be a one or two like whatever it is on a lot of different teams including the chicago bears and then You know, uh, you know, of course, Mike Evans, we mentioned Uh, Michael Pittman's a free agent. Calvin Ridley's a free agent. Marquise Brown's name comes up a lot. I don't know if it's just a change of scenery that he needs. Like he's got speed. Um, But like I just, you know, eight games over the last two seasons or he's missed eight games over the last two seasons. It's probably not something you want to spend a ton of money on. But there's some other names. Gabe Davis, Tyler Boyd, the other one from Cincinnati. The class is better where you don't have to necessarily overpay to get better talent than you would have been able to get in last year's free agent class, depending upon how you plan to use some of that day one and day two draft capital.
0: And a lot of time, what's good is that right when you have this much talent available and there's a clear cut number one, I think Mike Evans is probably your clear cut
1: Mm -hmm, number
0: one guy on this list, right? Mike Evans is going to get what Mike Evans is going to get. And the rest of this list probably gets less than that moving forward. Of course, I think they're T. Younger Higgins, than T. Mike Higgins
1: probably sets the market for the free agent group. I think just because of age and all of that, like yeah. Mike and Mike he, Evans, just, he, I think it's honestly just because I mean, not many people are paying receivers after 30 years old, a boatload of money.
0: Yeah. I'd, I'd say the one the Bears should look closest at is Michael Pittman, honestly, coming off one of his best seasons. He's got the size. He's got the body. He's been a guy who literally, since he's shown up in the NFL, it's just been like, can I just get a quarterback? <laughs> like, I just, all I'm looking for is somebody, that, a very similar situation to what DJ Moore went through okay. down in Carolina. not a little different, right? Andrew Luck just up and retiring. But you, you got a guy who, to me, has had kind of just piecemealed pieces together. And now maybe he's looking for a little bit more consistency at the quarterback position. The Bears will have that, whether they go with Justin Fields or Caleb Williams. He's the guy moving forward for this regime, at least for the next couple of years. You feel you have that stability in place. I think that would be a very interesting one to look at with Michael Pittman, who had, to me, really a bounce-back year and, and really played well this season.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Gabe Davis falls into that category. K.J. Osborne, if Minnesota decides that... It, it doesn't need him, and they can go draft another guy because he's getting ready to get paid, and they, they like the yeah. emergence of Jordan Addison, and they also have to pay Justin Jefferson. But, um, yeah, I think Pittman's a good example of somebody who has, you know, he doesn't have, like, the top-tier, upper-echelon numbers. Um, you know, if you'd be having to ask yourself, should I pay Darnell Mooney or should I pay a Michael Pittman? Because if you're letting Mooney walk, um, which teams are going to take a flyer on him? Might it be a team like Kansas City? It was like, yeah, we can, you know, give him a fresh start here. I mean, Michael yeah. Pittman had four touchdowns, eleven hundred like rec- 1, 1100 1100 receiving yards, yards, you know. yards and, and he had a lot of catches. Um, he's not like the most explosive guy, but I don't know if you necessarily need that in your offense. Um, can you make a contested catch? Sure. Can it be to the level of DJ Moore? Probably not. I mean, DJ seems like he's in a class on his own there, but it's an upgrade. And you got to decide if you're the bears, is it a big enough upgrade over a Darnell Mooney to go and get somebody like that in free agency over somebody in the draft? And I think one thing that they did learn uh, with a DJ Moore acquisition is the experience factor, you know, receivers in college to the NFL, that transition um, it is what it is, but like, DJ Moore was already a polished product. They have to out like they have to weigh the benefit of getting a polished product in this offense versus yeah. somebody that they are drafting and developing and expecting to be their guy for, you know, a long time. Um, not saying it's a quick fix, but for a team that's already pretty good in a lot of different areas, finding somebody in free agency might be the the path, the easiest path to get there.
0: Yeah. And and it's I think that to me it's you're going with something safe already, right? Like all the names on here, it's not like they're coming in and it's like, well, maybe he'll be able to play. You know, all of these wide receivers can come out and make an impact on the team. I think Pittman maybe is what they were looking for Chase Claypool to be. Maybe, I believe he's a little bit slower, a little bit slower than Claypool up, but, I mean, six foot four guy who can high point the football and actually does it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like maybe that's maybe that's the kind of receiver they're looking for to bring in there. I think receiver is definitely one of the the major needs. But let's be real. We know where we're looking at most with this team, no matter what. It's that offensive yeah. line right now, offensively. And uh, I guess the biggest question for most Bears fans right now is will they be addressing in the draft starting center or in free agency starting center or, and I I've thrown this option out there. Do you kind of do what Seattle did last year where they drafted Olu? He ends up being the, the rookie center that they want to put in place, but then they sign kind of their Lucas Patrick guy just to be, listen, you're starting this year, come in on a one-year deal and once we get you, you know, once we get through this season, it's probably going to be goodbye.
1: Yeah, there's a number of different ways they can go. They, You know, I think draft, or I think finding a true center, of course, interior offensive linemen, all offensive linemen, but particularly interior offensive linemen are cross-trained at, at guard and at center. Find a true yeah. center. Like, Are the names out there all that sexy, whether it's like, Andre James or Lloyd Cushenberry. Uh, There's a couple others. I mean, there's somebody from Seattle. I want to say, you know, is is that like the best upgrade that you can make? It's probably easier than going the draft route with it. Uh, Robert Hunt uh, is a guard, but like, you know, I don't know. Is that somebody that they might like want to look at potentially? Um, I know that there's other names that I'm forgetting about, but there's I would think just based on. The Lucas Patrick situation last two years—that that is the first place that they look because you got to make sure that there's a symbiotic connection between the center and the quarterback. And watching some of the struggles in the in the passing game that were predicated off of the offensive line, um, particularly the center position, I, that's got to be your first priority. And it's not that Lucas Patrick—I mean, you got to give him credit for all the Bears fans who aren't happy with his play and and we're ready to, you know, push him out the door a year ago. Like the guy has waited on his moment. He was supposed to be like, you know.
0: It was supposed to be his line.
1: Well, yeah, initially. And then he gets hurt. And then this past year it was supposed to be Cody White here going back to center and then Tevin Jenkins. And then of course Jenkins gets hurt in Indianapolis during joint practices. And then lo and behold, reliable Lucas Patrick is back in the lineup at center, like reliability. Yeah. It's a big part of it. So he may have had a below average season. He may be a below average player at best, but whoever they find as his replacement, you got to make sure that, that reliability factor is part of that person's body of work, because I don't know what it would have looked like, how much worse it would have looked like, had they not been able to default to what they had. Um, who else would have played center? Would it have been Doug Kramer? Would it have been, um, them shuffling things around even further on the interior of, of the offensive line, would it have been Cody Whitehair going back to center? Like there's none yeah. of the options were great, but I like I think that this offense...
0: I wanted the mullet in there, a little Dan Feeney action. I like the other one too. To I
1: still don't really know what his role is gonna be on this team. I think that's a tough one because I mean, but they also like they gave up a six-round pick. So what? That's, a, yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. that's a draft pick for the
0: guy. Like what you what you got in. What you got out of Dan Feeney this season in the spots spot plays he had to make, I think you got the yeah, value that you I think him it like. was
1: fine. I think anybody who overreacted yeah. to that and said, Oh, why'd they give up a six for him? Well you're so you're gonna get somebody as a six round draft pick who has less experience at all three positions than Dan Feeney. It's just yeah, it is a little weird that they didn't play him much at all. But um no, I mean they Darnell Wright is a star uh, in the making In yeah. more time he'll be he could be a you know a perennial pro bowler for this team. Nate Davis had his moments uh, but they paid him they're not gonna I doubt they're gonna be getting rid of him just because they were he's gonna, yeah, be, he's here. gonna be here. Center that's an you need an upgrade there. What do they do with Tevin Jenkins? Do they want to offer him an extension this offseason? Are they too worried about the durability factor? Do they go and get another guard in free agency to bring in as competition? That feels like they they I don't think I don't think it could hurt, but I don't think that's going to be a top priority. And there are still people who think that they should go get a left tackle. That Braxton Jones isn't it. I honestly think Braxton Jones will be fine next year. I really do. I think that. But it's not your top priority. Like to me, if you're looking at like it's main priorities, priority. like yeah. if you're not spending, I don't, I will, I will pay $100 if they go and draft a left tackle in the first round. That's not happening this year. Mm. Um, I just, but like there's, there's other positions I, I say of say that need. And I think that he has been yeah. more than serviceable at that position. And he's developed and he's continuing to develop. Like talking to Chris Morgan about where Braxton Jones. Is at the end of year two and where he's going to be. Like he made such big strides. Like you know, we talked about his hand placement at the beginning of the year. Said he wanted to be more powerful against a bull rush. He worked at those things. And if he has like his next checklist of things that include getting better in areas that were deficient in his game this year, then I think he's going to be in a pretty decent spot.
0: Yeah, I, I I just with Braxton to me the the thing is. I'm still seeing you get beat at the things you were getting beat at to start the season, which is that bull rush. And it's not to say he hasn't gotten better at it, but it's still his biggest weakness. And I feel like there are guys in the draft who, in the first round, you could go get. That might be the Darnell Wright on the left side that I can just plug him in there, and he's going to be a lot more proficient at that. I would love to see a Joe Alt there. Olufoshano, I feel like he... I, I feel like he's first-round Braxton Jones. Like, he's definitely better, mm-hmm. but he's what Braxton Jones is right now, and in that situation, if you were going to take Olu, I'd let Braxton just keep developing. And
1: let's say they stick with one and nine, just to make it, make it right. easy and not throw any trades out there. Like, Caleb Williams at number one,
0: neither of them will be at nine
1: that's a receiver or it's probably dallas turner the edge rusher and let's see like let's see if there's other names that uh emerge from the senior bowl and from the you know start pro day schedule in a couple weeks um i just i i think that there's maybe it's a day two pick i don't think that based on like the other needs that they have that are more glaring right now on the offensive line alone i think that they could be okay getting away with keeping uh braxton jones there for another year
0: well, that's why I think, right, even if you go, I think for me, center, center maybe one. you need to be... You, that, that's your number on one the, position that you have to get fine. right. And the name that intrigues me the most with that in free agency right now is Evan Brown because of the connection with Shane yes, Waldron. that's
1: who I was for... I'm sorry. That was the name that I, I knew that was slipping my mind because he was with him
0: in yeah, 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 that, that, as the center position. Mm-hmm. But he was basically right. Like, he's a... He is Seattle's Lucas Patrick. Like, he... Now... He was a little bit more consistent with snapping the football, a little bit more consistent in run blocking. I felt like he did a lot better job run blocking than pass blocking, which maybe is a bigger concern than anything because we want to get the quarterback going here. But he was proficient at all areas. And to me, he looked like over 16 games what we wanted Lucas Patrick to be when we signed him. He played 16 of the 17 games this season. A lot of good production out of him, but He's just okay. He's a guy who's like, okay. And so to me, do you redo kind of what they just did in Seattle where, uh, uh I'm, I'm, we, Olu Fashano was this year. Last year they drafted Olu, Oluwati, Oluwati. I forget what the young center's name is, uh, how to say his last name. I'm sorry. But he was a guy that they were like, you're ready, but not ready. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to throw you to the Wolves. We're going to sign Evan Brown. He's going to be here for a year and then we'll put you out there.
1: Yeah. And that's, I, I will always say this about offensive linemen, like the Quinn Williams, Quinn and Williams, not and Williams, Quentin Nelson, like those guys are so few and far between. I remember like and I'm just going to go back to another Minnesota example when Garrett Bradbury was drafted 18th in 2019. Like he was undersized, and in the system he was in, they struggled. There was a point in time where they're like, Mm-mm, "Not going to pick up this guy's fifth-year option." Like there, those talks of like, "Man, we should move on from this guy." And lo and behold, yeah. he gets in a new system, a offshoot of the McVan- uh, uh, McVanahan. The that should be called. They
0: should combine all the. That's names. what. That's um, it right there. Yeah. We just named
1: it, it. You know, with Kevin O'Connell having coached under Sean McVay, like and that blocking system got gave him a career year. Like. So maybe that is, um, you know, and of course, like when you draft somebody in the, on the offensive line, you need like, unless it's a Darnell, Wright, Like he, you know, but he was a top 10 draft pick for a reason. More often than not, you're going to have guys who struggle as rookies. um, And even Darnell Wright would be honest and all of his coaches would be honest that there were some moments where he, he really, you know, had some growing pains this year, but E- taking a a f- taking a a gamble, not even a gamble, but just like making a pick on somebody like that has such a high ceiling, high reward. You can't really go wrong. But I think that that's in in two thousand twenty four when they want to win next year. I think they can't really take the gamble on the development guy on the offensive line that they need to get somebody in there who can perform right away.
0: Yeah, it's it's the the O line. I think that center position is number one on my list. More than
1: wide receiver. Of,
0: Yes, because just the like I feel like wide wide receiver like I'd say it's one in one A right because yes wide receiver opens things up for you, but that's half a second where the ball's just left, and now you got to reset yourself, go through your drop back, and like that's so important, especially when you know at other positions Nate Davis struggled this season. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to deal with, you know, Nate Davis went through a lot this year. I'm willing to bring the human element in for Nate Davis and hope he has a bounce back year, but Tevin Jenkins going down with some injuries. So now you've got, you know, uh, uh, Larry Borum sliding over there, Jatir Carter sliding over like there, there were so many up and down pieces there that you just didn't have that half a second to waste on the football's over here. I got to come here and now I got to bring it back, reset myself and now start my drop back. Like, mm-hmm. I would say that's probably your biggest need this offseason. Wide receiver to me, yeah, it's wide receivers one A because right now when you're set, but also depends what your quarterback is like.
1: If you have Caleb Williams here, will the offensive line issues be as magnified as they have been in moments with Justin Fields? Like, everything is a domino effect. You got to like get the quarterback spot right before you can make any of these calls on what the offensive line is going to look
0: like if we do go quarterback here right let's say we do draft caleb williams first overall do you look at any of these veteran quarterbacks who are out there and say i want to bring them in to start in front of caleb just to get him acclimated to the league or do you throw caleb right into the fire because there's some names out there that you could realistically even drafting caleb number one overall right like Kirk Cousins is number one on the list. He's And he's going to get paid. Hell no. Don't even
1: bring that one up. (laughs) Um, I think, God, this question's tough because Ryan Poles came from a place that drafted Patrick Mahomes, what was it, 10th, 11th, 12th in 2017, one one of those areas, and they had him sit for a year. But they also had Alex Smith there who was a polished, established, good veteran. Having played in San Francisco and then with Kansas City before Washington. I have a hard time believing that you draft the quarterback number one overall and don't have that guy play right away, especially when he has right. been touted as this otherworldly talent in ways that the last number one pick at quarterback has not been the same. It's not the same way. I. I could see them wanting to upgrade the room, um, although they really like Tyson Bajan. Like, I'm not. They like Tyson. Know, Tyson, I, Tyson, yeah. I don't think going anywhere. I think that they think he's a solid backup. Um, but, you know, where else they could go, like, I don't think it would hurt to have an experienced veteran on the cheap in that room. Um, yeah. Trying to think of names because, of course, the names this
0: Josh Dobbs maybe. Uh, Josh, Josh Dobbs. Dobbs who, he's like, of course, Ryan I think is, is going to
1: be out there this year. um Well, well like yeah, I don't, man, you know, I, I, I don't yeah. know what what does he want to get paid? Like he's still at this yeah. point of his career where he probably thinks he could start somewhere. So, but like, it,
0: do we want Jameis Winston just for inspiration?
1: No. I would say <laughs> that's like a major no. I don't if he's. <laughs> You don't want him influencing your young quarterback and telling him to go rogue, like uh, and to not like completely disregard coaching. I think having good influences in the room and you know not having I'm not saying Jason's yeah. not a high character guy. Look, the team loves him, but that was such a bizarro mo- moment. And they actually restructured his contract. I think he's still like the way that they like fixed it. I think he's technically under contract still for two thousand twenty-four with the Saints. They restructured something. Not because of what happened, from what I was told. Not because of what happened, like with that Saints uh, Falcons the way that the game finished. But his there was something that they did. Can, it was either a conversion or something else yeah, yeah, with his yeah. contract that just
0: yeah. it's, it's just hilarious. Jameis is Jameis is literally one of the funniest NFL players I've ever seen because it's just like, what are you doing? Like, do you know you're in the NFL? Like, you act like you're a regular. <laughs> just everyday dude
1: but like on the field yeah he's an interesting dude for sure
0: he's hilarious I I I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of what the Bears do here maybe I don't know a little Flacco love little Flacco love maybe just I don't think think it would
1: hurt because we we've seen like young quarterbacks um obviously not CJ Stroud he didn't need nobody like to start in front of him but other guys who have needed the time. Like maybe Anthony Richardson would have benefited from sitting behind Gardner Minshew for a year, but it's the optics element of all of that where it's like, man, you draft this guy fourth overall, whatever it was, yeah. like you got to play him right away. I think we've learned that you don't necessarily have to, but you're also not going to hold somebody back if they're ready to go.
0: Yeah, that, I, and I think that's the thing, right? Like you could sign somebody. That's why I think a Josh Dobbs or a Flacco would make sense because you could sign them you know they're going to be great in the room. You know they're going to teach whoever they need to teach in the room. Okay, this is what you want to look for here. Don't make these mistakes, things like that. But, right, that's those are the guys that as training camp goes on, it's like, yeah, we're coming into the season. Flacco's our number one. That's our guy right there. Hey, you know, we're going to give the young guys some shots today at uh, with the first team just a little bit. We're not going to push them too much. And then, like, halfway through the day, it's just like, yeah, we're going to go with uh, – in, in our first preseason game, we're going to go with Caleb Williams as our starting quarterback the rest of the way through. Like, wait, I thought Flacco was starting. Like, the, those are the guys that you feel good about being in the sure. room, teaching the young guy, being a sounding board. But also, right? Like, because I think the biggest thing for Caleb is going to learn what being a a pro is mm-hmm.
1: about. And I mean, you don't want to create a pseudo quarterback competition where there doesn't need to be one the way that this team did right. in 2021. But having somebody teach you how to be a pro. I think it it cannot be overstated because so many people expect that, oh, you are a highly talented, highly drafted player coming out of college. You should know these things. No, it it, it takes time to learn how to do that. And I don't know if Justin Fields had the best example. I think he honestly had to learn on the fly. I'm not saying anything negative about Andy Dalton or Nick Foles, but he went into a tenuous situation with guys who wanted his job and thought they were supposed to have his job. Sometimes people don't go out of their way to help you. Um, And so having a young quarterback who is, you know, whether it's, you know, if it is Caleb Williams, who is going to be your future, making sure you set them up for success is more than just like the pieces you put around them at positions. It's, it's, It's who you have in the room talking to them on a daily basis.
0: For sure. Hopefully we see some of that development here. Let us know what you guys feel. The biggest offensive need for the Chicago Bears is heading into this 2024 season. Only got a couple more weeks of football left and one of them is the Pro Bowl. So really just
1: (laughs) One one more week.
0: I'm going to miss it, but we're not going to stop here. We're going to keep this thing going Monday through Friday. Stay in tune with us. We'll be back tomorrow with J-Mac and possibly a special guest. We'll see if that ends up going through. As always, man, it's your boy, Pat, the designer. Back at it again for Courtney Cronin. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Bear done. One love. Peace. Bad on Bears fans, another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast coming your way. Pat, the designer, Courtney Cronin. We got Bears news on the pod. Chicago Bears have finally hired their wide receiver coach. Got to talk about that. Chris Beatty is in the room, ladies and gentlemen. What is he going to bring to this Bears wide receiving core? Got to get the insight from Courtney on that. And of course, We got plenty of offensive needs. We broke down the defensive needs on Thursday. Now we got to break down what the offensive needs and where they're going to be addressed at. All that and more in today's episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the page. Leave that five star review. Y'all know what to do. Courtney, how are you? I'm good.
1: I'm good. It's senior bowl week. So It's going to be fun to follow along with what's going on down in Mobile. I'm not there this year, but I've gone in years past. It's a great event. Uh, It's your first chance to really see some of the bigger names in the draft. Now the bears are there. Uh, the quarterbacks that they're probably interested in taking, if they go stay at number one are not there. So the names that we're looking at this week will be uh, Michael Penix, Jr. From Washington and Bo Nix from Oregon. The others are either juniors that have declared early or are not at the senior bowl, but it'll be interesting to see which names emerge. I remember I was actually like, thinking about this when I was looking at our defensive stuff last week, uh, when we were doing the the podcast on like some of their big free agent needs. And I always say his name wrong. Um, I think it's Josh Josh Ucci, the guy from Michigan, mm-hmm. like the defensive end, He um, like was an outside linebacker defensive end. I remember first seeing him a couple of years ago at the combine and he rose up draft boards very quickly uh, going into that COVID uh, draft in 2020. So, I mean, there's always – some big riser that comes out of the senior bowl and heck like the bears found Tyson Bajant there last year. So it's certainly a, a nice breeding ground for talent and to be able to start, you know, manipulating the draft board and as you get it set towards uh, the, you know, the, the bulk of the off season in about a couple of weeks, this should be a good chance for this team to come away with more intel on players.
0: Yeah, there's going to be a lot of it. I think the the spot the Bears are probably looking at most down there, right, would probably be that wide receiver room as well as uh, maybe a little running back. There's always a, some good running back action at the senior bowl. Get a little fifth round pick in there. Yeah, I mean, that's how I, that's how I like to pick my running backs. That's how I live my life. Uh, but I do want to talk about this hire of Chris Beatty because I feel like Yet again, the Chicago Bears making a really logical, really good hire. For most of us, Courtney, this is not something that we're used to. Normally, this is a, you know, they went out and just got a guy who was a buddy of a guy. <laughs> they bring him in, and you're just like, oh, okay, this is a part of a thing. Like, what's he What's he done? Well, you know, he knows him. Now we're seeing a guy who not only has been a part of what I would say one of the elite wide receiver classes went healthy over there in Los Angeles, but a guy who's worked with DJ Moore in his past as well what can the Bears expect from Chris Beatty coming in here and working with the wide receivers we have?
1: Yeah, I think the big thing you look at first is why they parted ways with uh, their last staff. And there were five members of that group, including Tyke Tolbert. And Tyke was awesome. Like, I mean, it's it's a shame for us to have, as media members, to have him go. He was a wealth of knowledge. He would always take time to explain why things happened a certain way, why things didn't. I think he was faced with some really tough questions that he answered very truthfully this year whether it was about um you know the the chase claypool situation early on about darnell mooney regressing and what led to that to some of the tyler scott drops and why it felt like he was getting opportunity but wasn't capitalizing on it obviously the last two years he's been asked every which way about Phelis jones but within being asked about those questions you still saw a lack of development i mean your top guy in dj moore you know I don't want to like simplify things, but I think regardless of whomever the coach would be in that room, DJ Moore would shine regardless. He is that talented. He is an alpha. He's a number one. He's, you know, he's good. Um, But you've got some younger guys in that room, and they're probably going to be adding to that room via the draft. They have to because when you have a wide receiver who, you know, was head and shoulders above everybody else, but then you don't have another wide receiver who scored a touchdown last year, that's a problem. So to get somebody who has developed wide receivers from the high school level and college level first and foremost – the track record for Chris Beatty goes all the way back to like Percy Harvin um, at the high school level. And then, you know, I I tweeted it out this morning um, when I broke the story that he, you know, has coached, I think it was 13 years in college, everywhere from like West Virginia, Virginia, NIU, Hampton. Um, He's been a lot of different places. And then in the NFL level, you know, after 13 years in college, he went to the chargers for the last three seasons, but like, listen to some of these names uh, that were under him at various points of his career, Percy Harvin, Tavon Austin, Will Johnson, Stedman Bailey, um, Jared Appardaris, uh, Jordan Matthews, you know, even, even Jordan Addison in his first year at Pitt. Um, Cause Chris Beatty during Jordan Addison's like, you know, his really good season that he had as a sophomore before transferring to USC. Beatty was with the chargers at that time, but the key here is wide receiver development. Um, I think it doesn't hurt that DJ Moore played for Chris Beatty at Maryland, um, you know, for two seasons 2016 and 2017, before he became a first round pick himself. The familiarity there is always going to be a good thing. And I actually thought back on it this morning because I remember when we were talking to DJ about his offseason or his exit interview with Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus. he said, You guys are going to see soon, um, if they, you know, if what I said in there stuck more or less, if they're going to do what I suggested. And of course you could infer because that happened on a Monday and then Wednesday, the coaching staff changed significantly on offense. I'll be very curious to see how much DJ may have vouched um, for Chris Beatty. When we get a chance to talk with him at some point during the offseason, because this was obviously a person that he knows intimately and somebody who, as he was getting ready to be a first round draft pick by Carolina in 2018, helped get him ready for that and and Maryland obviously like you know Maryland's developed a ton of receivers this guy coached you know I don't know how much of the overlap would have been there everyone now I'm thinking of it because I was just thinking about Stephon Diggs because Maryland's turned out a lot of really good receivers like DJ Moore isn't the only name but like Diggs was there i think he left in 20 he was a fourth round pick in 2015 so i never mind that i said any of that because like i was just trying to like think of more names that i may have forgotten but yeah like obviously it all stands on its own and then when you look at what chris Beatty's done in the nfl like he had you're right pat like that's a really talented room when healthy when everything's yeah. going right um yeah. it always feels that the chargers underachieve and it's not just the receiver room but Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, even Quentin Johnson, who had an up-and-down rookie season, but that's a really talented room, and so it's, it's a good thing that the Bears found somebody that they believe can help the room that they currently have develop and then the guys that they're going to get outside of the, that are currently outside of the organization.
0: Yeah. And I think, right, like you got some guys here who you want to see still have that development not outside of just DJ Moore. Right. What what are they going to do with Darnell Mooney? That's going to be a major question. If he's here, you need to see him start to get back to the ways that he had previously and not what we've seen the last couple of years. Uh, what's going on with Tyler Scott? Mm-hmm. Tyler Scott looks like he was really good, but there's some real fundamental things to being a wide receiver that you have to do that he didn't do. Number one, catch the ball, sure. right? And, and I'm assuming that those are things that can grow, but there is this, you, you've this—you drafted two wide receivers in Ryan Pohl's time here that you felt like should have been able to make some sort of impact, especially with how much they were utilized over the last couple of years. And Bayless just injury issues his first year, the second year, the trust felt like it was gone offensively pretty much. And so can you develop something out of that? And then on the flip side of that, Tyler Scott, right? He was the number, uh, for lack of, I guess, once Chase Claypool was gone, he was kind of your number two target that Justin was going to in a lot of those situations outside of Cole Komet, just on the receiving, uh, wide receivers in the room. If that's what you expect him to be, you're going to need to see a lot more. And so... Bringing a guy like this in who, yes, Quentin Johnson going through an up and down season, but it felt like towards the end of the season, you got a little bit more up than down. You you want to see a guy that can come in and get the most out of these young guys. And that's what it feels like all of these hires to me have been.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing, too, when you point out Valus Jones and Tyler Scott, the two that were drafted under Ryan Poles. Finding more polished receivers too. Somebody whose expertise is coaching that position is going to be a part of it, which of course is going to require using higher draft capital, day one draft capital, day two draft yeah. capital, um, because Tyler Scott was a very raw product when he got into the NFL. Like he's been very honest about that. He didn't start playing; rec- he was drafted. He was recruited as an athlete, um, you know, to to Cincinnati. He played a multitude of positions, and he still more or less, learning how to be a very proficient wide receiver and not just a track star out there. I mean, he was a great punk gunner in college, like trying to figure out what his role is on this team. That's where Chris Beatty comes in. And then, of course, with Bayless, you know, the issues quieted towards the end of the season because I think they did become so much more pronounced with Darnell Mooney and, like, his regression. And, of course, you know, who's to blame for that? Is it the quarterback? Is it the receiver? Is it the receiver's coach? Well, now it's a moot point if they're going to keep him around. And if they don't, there's a free agent class to look at that actually has better names, I think, than last year's free agent group of wide receivers. And then to find someone day one, day two, that you can trust could be utilized right away in this offense, critical no matter who the quarterback is.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, the evaluation of that, because I think the part that a lot of Bears fans, that sticks in a lot of Bears fans' mind is you had a chance to draft some really good receivers. Were you just not looking at that? Were, was the the assessment of what those receivers could have been not exactly what it was, right? So I think it does speak to, right, we go back, I, I always go back and I look at you know some of those draft choices that the Bears made, and it's not that they didn't work out right, but when you go with a defensive player over somebody who could have been a premier receiver for a quarterback that needs premier receivers, those questions are always going to pop up. Okay. What was your evaluation of this guy? And at a minimum, I do think, right. I do think Quentin Johnston will be a good receiver. If he's in the room and he's helping make those decisions, you feel a little bit more comfortable Mm -hmm. about, uh, uh, him coming in here to Chicago. So I'm excited on the Chris Beatty hire. I feel like this is going to be a a good one for the bears. I feel like this is uh, a situation where you're rounding out a staff that to me, maybe it's not the best staff that you could have gotten, but as far as development wise, I think you're getting some of the best names on the market here. And that does excite me with this. It's a
1: trend because you've seen, and it's no knock against the previous staff, but Luke Getzey came from a place where his quarterback was Aaron Rodgers. What do you develop in there? Like, you know what I mean? The guy's a, the guy's a hall of famer. Like coaching him is different than coaching someone who really does need the time on task, the classroom education, the coaching. Um, In that when you have Shane Waldron, you take a look at, who did he help at different points of their career? And again, I know you and I have talked about this. Like where does the offensive coordinator stop in Los Angeles and where does the Shane Waldron effect uh, rise <laughs> yeah. to? Like, oh, Jared Goff was great at this, that, and the other thing because of Shane Waldron. Well, regardless, a lot of different quarterbacks under his tutelage. And then when he became the OC in, in Seattle, you can see the direct effect on what the offense looked like. Same thing with a Chris Beatty. Like I, I and I'm excited to see. You know, there's one more hire that you know the big one to be made, which would be the running backs coach. Um, yeah. None of these guys have had ties to coach. You know, to, to Matt Eberflus at any other point. None of them have worked on. You know, a Kansas City staff that Ryan Poles had been a part of before he got to the Bears. That's encouraging to me. That's showing that they're going outside of the familiar circle. That They, you know, obviously that's always like the easiest thing to do. Who do I know? Who has a good reputation? Who can I call to verify that this might be the right Right. hire? And they obviously still do that. But I think it shows that they're doing things differently and they're doing their homework that goes, you know, maybe kind of like the extra credit part of the homework where you're not just going with a comfortable option. And then you see like in two places, you know, at least what they're touting is that it's the development aspect of the quarterbacks, the development aspect of the wide receivers that helps them believe this offense can make the next step. And, of course, on the flip side of that with Eric Washington as the defensive coordinator, um, you know, they, they clearly feel there because he is such a pass rush specialist with the defensive line that, that can be part of their growth up front um, right. next year as well. So, good, I mean, Matt Iberflus has been honest. He says he wants good teachers. First and foremost. And I, I do think that that's important. It's coaches knowing how they can teach other coaches how to coach and then be able to coach those players based on a certain way. And that's from day one. That was one of his first things that he, he said was like really, really important to the staff working.
0: And you have to have good teachers, right? When you're a defensive minded guy at the head coaching position, because if Shane Waldron comes in and he fixes Justin Fields or he turns Caleb Williams into a superstar quarterback, guess where he's not going to (laughs) be the offensive coordinator of the Chicago bears. That means you need to teach guys (laughs) so that you can keep that system in place or keep something similar. You would like, I think how most coaches would like it is you can kind of build that tree within your organization where the OC moves on. We promoted this guy because he's ready to go now because Shane Waldron was such a good teacher. He knows everything he needs to know. It's not just teaching the players. I, I love how Flu said that. It's being able to teach the coaches as well to prepare them for what their next step could
1: yeah, be. Absolutely. And that's that's the sign of a successful coaching um, I don't want to say tree just yet. We don't want to get ahead of it. Coaching up. ladder. Coaching no, that's ladder. a wonderful yeah, yeah. way to put it. Thank you for that. Um, it's like you gotta be able to pet like you can't have things like Eberflus wants things done a certain way. I mean, the hits principle exists because that's how he wants guys to play. But then when it comes to coaching, you gotta make sure that everyone's on the same page with how things are being taught to the players. But the coaches, it starts first and foremost this offseason. What do meetings look like? What are the structure of practices going to look like? And having right. people from outside of the organization come in and now be able to put their stamp on the way that players are taught is, is part of the overall thing, not just like, okay, let's get some really good players in here, whether it's a new quarterback, whether it's, um, you know, obviously new receivers and then just like go ahead and coach them the way that you, you know, have done it every other place. It's it's making sure that everybody knows, like he's going to have to link up with Shane Waldron at some point. Um, and Shane Waldron is going to have to build a new identity for this offensive staff because it's his staff. Um, again, I'll be really excited to see, Like what his uh, influence is with Chris Beatty here. I mean, West Coast guys, I guess it's really the only tie that's there. It's like, you know, one was in the AFC West, one was in the NFC West. It's not like they had that much overlap, which which is not like the worst thing when you don't have guys who are, you know, it's not cronyism. It's not somebody has a tie to somebody else and that's the reason that that person's hired. It's, Going out and really finding the best candidate for the job, which, you know, you got to trust at this point until we see it, that that's the process that they followed. And you can really only judge them on the type of hires they've made, the time that they've taken to make these hires based on how these people have performed at their previous stops.
0: Does it feel like this is a... Because we had Greg Gabriel on and he was talking about how the difference that's kind of come in to the modern NFL is front offices are helping make a lot of these coaching decisions now Mm -hmm. as far as hiring assistants, hiring out, you know, the wide receiver coaches, things like that. Does this feel like this is Ryan Poles saying these are some guys that we've scouted out. We feel like you should take a look at them and see if you want to work with them. Or does this feel like a Matt Eberflus? He's going out and trying to figure this all out.
1: It's certainly, I hate using the collaboration word, but it's definitely a collaborative process. And Ryan Poles hinted that that was going to be the case. When we asked him at the season-ending press conference about, you know, how much of a role are you going to have in these, you know, in hiring the new coaches? Because they had a defensive coordinator and five members of the offensive staff to hire fluce's expertise is on the defensive side of the ball. Of course you have people you've been, he's been coaching for 30 something years. He could fill out an offensive staff if he wanted to, but then you want to make sure you're getting it right. And I agree with that. I think that front offices, it's not just that, you know, when you have a pro staff, it's not just hiring or it's not just going after players and free agency and, you know, scouting, you know, being, you know, scouting advanced, advanced opponents. Like it's, it's, t- it's making sure that, like, your short list of candidates for coaches, for positions, all of those things, for different positions, is up to where it needs to be because the crossovers between teams, like, you taking, like, every, every scout, every pro scout in the NFL, let's take a look at, like, um, training camp, for example. Like, first off, they're all, like, in their free agency meetings right now and they've all done cross-checks. But during training camp, scouts are responsible However, they divvy it up. Every team's different. Like scouts are responsible for looking at 31 other teams, cutting 31 other teams rosters down from 90 to 53, and within that process, you're also having the overlap of seeing what coaches are doing, what players, how players are thriving under coaches. Like they they get the whole, they absorb the whole thing. So it's right. not, you know, I think a lot of people look at this and I'm just like using like the Sean, like Sean Payton and you know Mike McCarthy and like people who have been head coaches for a long time. They have trees. They have people that like they could go and like call up their Rolodex for or go look in your iPhone. Nobody has a Rolodex. Um, like look up, like just type in. <laughs>
0: There's an entire generation of people exactly. you just confused. Um, like what the heck is a Rolodex? Just like
1: look at your long list of coaches. You just type in wide receiver on your phone. If you're Kyle Shanahan, you're going to have a crap ton of coaches that you could pick from. Like
0: yeah.
1: Matt Eberflus has been doing this for has been a head coach for two years. the the lineage, the 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 amount of coaches that he would have to be able just to like pick a couple on a dime and say I want to interview these guys. It's shorter, so to be able to form a good staff, the front office has to get involved. And it's not saying that like they're the ones who have the ultimate say. It's a coaching staff, and you know, week nine, Matt Eberflus, it was his decision to part ways to fire David Walker, um, you know, and, and Ryan Poles part of that too. Like, and I'm not trying to like put, that's not new news just because we need to make that right. stuff clear, but like the head coach will have the chance to like, in what Eberflus told us during the, uh, press conference, like he was the one who parted ways with the offensive staff. Like, he's the head coach. It's his prerogative. But then when you're hiring coaches, you want to make sure you get it right. Because if you don't, you're probably in a position where you're, like, you know, looking for new coaches. And you might be out of a job at some point if you can't get the coaches right. So I think the trust that he and Ryan Poles have built within each other and their process, this se- I'm sure this is something he welcomes. Like, hey, let's get more voices in the room. Let's try to figure out, which candidate we're going to go with based on all of the information that's available to us and not having it just be like, you know, I covered Mike Zimmer for a long time. He was the head coach in Minnesota from 2014 through 2021. He had a long list of coaches that had coached under him. Um, A lot of different offensive coordinators, which is neither here nor there, but like, you know, when you, when you've been doing it that long and you're up there in that, that class of NFL coach who has tenure Then you can go to your short list and be like, I'm just like I like this guy, he's good. I know this guy. Like that's not the way they're doing it, and I think this is probably a better process because of it.
0: Yeah, I think I think this is a safer way to do it because a lot of times they right like you you you
1: eliminate more blind spots by doing it this way. I think that's a good thing.
0: I, I take Mike Zimmer into account, right? Because he wanted Gary Kubiak. And when Gary didn't work, Gary did like the Western thing. He was like, send the boy, and you know, was, well, Gary wanted to retire. Was, you know,
1: Gary, like, was in I mean? retirement, and Zim was like, please, for love of God, come out of <laughs> retirement. I need you. And then Gary's like, it's all right, right, I'll give you one year, my guy. And then, yeah, then handed it off to Clint Kubiak, his son, who at the time was the quarterback's coach. So, you know, the nepotism angle was alive and well there. And that was brought up a whole bunch.
0: Um, But Yeah. And it's, 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 you know, he has his guys that he's the most comfortable with. And then there's the other guys. And so when you don't get those guys, a lot of times it feels like coaches are trying to force things. Like you said, it eliminates the blind spots. Mm -hmm. That's why I actually liked the fact that it feels like this is a collaborative effort. I liked it, but still, I think the one thing that, that, Intrigues me most is it still does feel like, which I guess surprises me a little bit. Fluce is the CEO because as he, as immediately he, he came be, out.
1: as he wants to be. That's his role.
0: Yeah, immediately he comes out and he's like, "No, it was my choice to dismiss the offensive staff. That mm-hmm. was on. Yeah, that, that's that's what I wanted to do. I felt like we needed more there. Okay, all right. Fluce boss moves out well, here. That's what I a like head to coach see
1: does. That. Like a front office, yeah. unless like there's some sort of weird stuff going on. Like a front office doesn't fire. Um, you know, fire coaches without the coach having the final say on that. And I mean, like the David Walker situation I brought up, obviously there were some HR issues there, which is, you know, there was, there was like team rules that, you know, was led to,
0: but it was was
1: obviously like Matt Eberflus has the ultimate say on who's on his staff and who's not. But like, that doesn't mean that it's like him making, you know, he's somebody who, like if you like Flues, if you don't like Flues, if you think he's a good coach, whatever. Like his, e- like the ego part of it. I think in terms of like, no, it's only the we're only interviewing the candidates that I want to hire. The offensive coordinator search would debunk any sort of myth of that because they interviewed nine different candidates, and you know they've they really have. You know, not to use a cliche, they've done their due diligence. They have yeah. done their homework on this, and that's why they're hoping to get it right this time around, as opposed to. Learn, you know, and learning from what they what went wrong the first time around. Which, of course, it was a rushed process because polls and abreufluists were hired within days of each other. You only have a certain amount of time before you can, like, you know. To get your offensive staff together, right. um, that's not easy, and your defensive staff together too. But like, obviously, he had guys that he had known more more intimately, um, having been a defensive coach for so many years. But this is right. this was not a rushed process. This was a process that they really took their time with, and if it works out, then they're going to bear the fruits of that because they they really put a lot of thought into it.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see what this staff is going to finish out as, how it's all going to round out, feel like they're doing a lot of things that speak to issues that the Bears definitely had this season. Hit that like button, subscribe to the page, guys. Let us know how you feel in the comments below on this offensive staff. Now we got to talk about some of the players that are uh, available in different ways and some of the players that we're going to need on this team because the one thing about the Bears is the Bears did improve talent-wise last year offensively. But I think we got through like, I want to say probably halfway through the season. And we had a caller call in on the post-post game show on ESPN 1000. And he basically said, outside of DJ Moore, who's your best receiver? And it hadn't clicked with me because Cole committed caught so many passes at that point. But to me, when you look at the wide receiver room right now, there's so many just like good guys. I like Tyler Scott. I like Darnell Mooney. I, I like Velas Jones as, as a person. I don't know if I, I like him as a receiver on the field, right? But, like, you had Chase Claypool at one point, but he ends up getting shipped out of here, and the curse seems like it's real. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, it feels like there's so much more needed with this wide receiver room. To me, outside of the quarterback position, mm-hmm. that has to be the one spot you're looking top closest priority, at right
1: now. Top priority. And you're right, because it's always felt like the last couple of years, even, I mean... The first year of the new staff, the first year of the new regime, I mean, fields, the, the roster was stripped down where Darnell Mooney finishing with 493 yards leading receivers. Obviously, that's such an insane number to think about when you take a look at what DJ Moore did in year one, career high in receptions, yeah. or career high in receiving yards, receiving yards per game, receiving touchdowns. Um, but then that was it. And I know, like... Part of me thinks with the whole darnell Mooney and Justin fields like what happened um Mooney didn't just forget how to play football how to catch uh, you know how to be on the same page with his quarterback. I don't believe any of that you know his regression I think is a product of a number of different things could coaching be one of those things sure um could quarterback play be a bigger one of those things probably which i I know when you take a look at the numbers and I, I just pulled them up obviously with um you know, Justin Fields' top two targets are DJ Moore and Cole Komet. And then there is a massive drop off uh, to yep. where, D- where Darnell Mooney is. And I correct what I said earlier, like the, he had one touchdown. Uh, that was, I believe, the Green Bay game. So it was really, really early on in the season. And, um, but that's not acceptable. However, my biggest pause here would be if it's Justin Fields at quarterback. What if they bring in somebody else, like in, in you know, that you still get that same sort of drop off where there is one guy that this quarterback locks in on, and a receiver who has had a successful season, the way that Darnell Mooney did in 2021, doesn't look like that version of himself in the offense? Then you got a real big problem, and they, meaning the coaching staff, the front office they're ultimately the ones that know that, whether it's a Justin Fields problem, whether it was the offense's problem, whether it was a wide receiver, uh, you know, self-regression problem. Because there's a lot of names out there in free agency, certainly the draft, um, and it's going to depend what they do with that number one pick. Because I did a podcast yesterday, and the thought from some Bears fans is that you can trade out of number one and get Marvin Harrison Jr., You probably aren't going past four if you're doing that.
0: Um, You're you're only getting to three.
1: Like, yeah, Arizona at four would probably be like the last stop. But there's others that are available. And I just I think about I asked DJ this at the end of the season. Like, what would you think if there was another version of you, meaning a very talented top tier wide receiver playing opposite you? Um, Because I've seen that happen. I've saw it happen when, you know, Adam Thielen was was nearing the peak of his career and then they bring Justin Jefferson into that offense. And maybe Justin's not the best example because he's a thoroughbred. The guy is on another planet for how good he is. But right. like the Diggs and Thielen uh, duo that I got to cover for a couple of years in Minnesota and having a true number three receiver, whether it was all the way back to Jarius right to K.J. Osborne, Um Like, that can really help the layers of this offense so where a quarterback doesn't have to feel like he's locking in on one guy. Balancing out the depth chart, and they've got some talent in the room right now. I'm not saying they don't. I'd love to see what Tyler Scott becomes in his second season and how they can develop him, but they've got to get more talent in that room. Um, And then they'll see. I mean, you know, the free agency happens likely before they – Trade the number one overall pick, but then what they do in the draft to surround whether it's Fields or another quarterback with more talent like, regardless of who it is, that has to happen. You just hope yeah. that you have you make the right decision on a quarterback who can utilize all of his talent around him,
0: yeah. And I, I think the part that's interesting is there's so many options at this, right? The Bears not only have the draft capital where they can go out and get a uh MJ or MHJ or maybe a Romo Dunze. Uh, but you also have the free agency to available to you as well. And the free agent wide receiver list this year looks pretty ridiculous.
1: Yeah, And I know T Higgins name is always coming up like for even like last year. Um, Cause it was kind of the idea that, all right, they're not going to be able to play at pay everybody, whether it's Joe Burrow and then yeah. Jamar chase, like is T Higgins going to be the odd man out and, Um, you know, he's a name, I don't know what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to do with Mike Evans. I think that they'd be foolish to let him out of the room or out of the team, but like they had a chance to pay the dude. (laughs) They didn't, maybe he's like, "Mm -mm, I don't want to stay here. Who knows? But I mean,
0: well, wasn't that, the, wasn't that the thing? Didn't last off season. He basically said, I don't want to be here. And they were like, well, you're here. Like, we don't know what to well, tell you. This he, 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 wa- he
1: wanted a contract extension. Yeah. And they couldn't come to an agreement on, on one. So his agent put out a very lengthy statement on on how he felt the organization had handled things, all of Mike Evans' accomplishments t- till that point. And then what does he do? Again, he has like his 11th straight um a t- uh, thousand yard receiving season like the guy led the league had the tied for the league lead in touchdowns this year like he 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 he's showing no signs of dropping off Mason. too like he's you know in his what is he late 20s like early 30s yeah. Like, yeah he was awesome this year i i think they'd be foolish to not pay him but in the price is only going to, going to go up on him will he make top tier wide receiver money at yeah you know, let's see how old mike evans is i think he's 30 um yeah he's 30 he'll be 31 this season Probably still top ten money. Um, but like the yep. receiver class of free agents this year just feels so vastly different than years past. Like, which is the reason. Remember last year, uh, that's the reason that Ryan Poles made the trade for Chase Claypool, because it was like Nelson Aguilar, Juju Smith Schuster, um like, just not a lot of big names that would be out there. But this year, you can go to free agency. You can find a T. Higgins who he's got the size, he's got the route running ability um, to be a one or a two, like what, whatever it is on a lot of different teams, including the Chicago Bears. And then You know, uh, you know, of course, Mike Evans, we mentioned Uh, Michael Pittman's a free agent. Calvin Ridley's a free agent. Marquise Brown's name comes up a lot. I don't know if it's just a change of scenery that he needs. Like he's got speed. Um, But like I just, you know, eight games over the last two seasons or he's missed eight games over the last two seasons. It's probably not something you want to spend a ton of money on. But there's some other names. Gabe Davis, Tyler Boyd, the other one from Cincinnati the class is better where you don't have to necessarily overpay to get better talent than you would have been able to get in last year's free agent class, depending upon how you plan to use some of that day one and day two draft capital.
0: And a lot of time what's good is that, right, when you have this much talent available and there's a clear-cut number one, I think Mike Evans is probably your Mm -hmm, clear-cut number one guy on this list, right? Mike Evans is going to get what Mike Evans is going to get. And the rest of this list probably gets less than that moving forward. Of course, I think younger Higgins, than Higgins
1: probably sets the market for the free agent group. I think just because of age and all of that, like yeah. Mike and Mike <laughs> Evans, just I think it's honestly just because I mean, not many people are paying receivers after thirty years old a boatload of money.
0: Yeah. I'd, I'd say the one the Bears should look closest at is Michael Pittman, honestly, coming off one of his best seasons. He's got the size. He's got the body. He's been a guy who literally, since he's shown up in the NFL, has just been like, can I just get a quarterback? <laughs> like, I just, all I'm looking for is somebody, that, a very similar situation to what DJ Moore went through okay. down in Carolina. not a little different, right? Andrew Luck just up and retiring. But you, you got a guy who, to me, has had kind of just piecemealed pieces together and now maybe he's looking for a little bit more consistency at the quarterback position. The Bears will have that, whether they go with Justin Fields or Caleb Williams. He's the guy moving forward for this regime, at least for the next couple of years. You feel you have that stability in place. I think that would be a very interesting one to look at with Michael Pittman, who had, to me, really a bounce-back year and, and really played well this season.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Gabe Davis falls into that category. K.J. Osborne, if Minnesota decides that... It, it doesn't need him and they can go draft another guy because he's getting ready to get paid and they, they like the yeah. emergence of Jordan Addison and they also have to pay Justin Jefferson. But um, yeah, I think Pittman's a good example of somebody who has, you know, he doesn't have like the top tier upper echelon numbers. Um, you know, if you'd be having to ask yourself, should I pay Darnell Mooney or should I pay a Michael Pittman? Because if you're letting Mooney walk, um, which teams are going to take a flyer on him. Might it be a team like Kansas City? Who's was like, yeah, we can you know, give him a fresh start here. I mean, Michael yeah. Pittman had four touchdowns, 1,100 like rec- 1, 1100 receiving yards, you know. yards, and he had a lot of catches. Um, he's not like the most explosive guy, but I don't know if you necessarily need that in your offense. Um, can you make a contested catch? Sure. Can it be to the level of DJ Moore? probably not i mean dj seems like he's in a class on his own there but it's an upgrade and you got to decide if you're the bears is it a big enough upgrade over a darnell mooney to go and get somebody like that in free agency over somebody in the draft and i think one thing that they did learn uh with a dj Moore acquisition is the experience factor you know receivers in college to the nfl that transition um it is what it is but like DJ Moore was already a polished product. They have to out like they have to weigh the benefit of getting a polished product in this offense versus yeah. somebody that they are drafting and developing and expecting to be their guy for, you know, a long time. Um, not saying it's a quick fix, but for a team that's already pretty good in a lot of different areas, finding somebody in free agency might be the the path, the easiest path to get there.
0: Yeah. And and it's I think that to me it's you're going with something safe already, right? Like all the names on here, it's not like they're coming in and it's like, well, maybe he'll be able to play. You know all of these wide receivers can come out and make an impact on the team. I think Pittman maybe is what they were looking for Chase Claypool to be. Maybe I believe he's a little bit slower, a little bit slower than Claypool, but I mean, six foot four guy who can high point the football and actually does it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like maybe that's maybe that's the kind of receiver they're looking for to bring in there. I think receiver is definitely one of the the major needs. But let's be real. We know where we're looking at most with this team, no matter what. It's that offensive yeah. line right now, offensively. And uh, I guess the biggest question for most Bears fans right now is will they be addressing in the draft starting center or in free agency starting center or, and I have thrown this option out there. Do you kind of do what Seattle did last year where they drafted Olu? He ends up being the, the rookie center that they want to put in place, but then they sign kind of their Lucas Patrick guy just to be, listen, you're starting this year, come in on a one-year deal. And once we get you, you know, once we get through this season, it's probably going to be goodbye.
1: Yeah, there's a number of different ways they can go. They, you know, I think draft or I think finding a true center, of course, interior offensive linemen, all offensive linemen, but particularly interior offensive linemen are cross trained at, at guard and at center. Find a true yep. center. Like, Are the names out there all that sexy, whether it's like, Andre James or Lloyd Cushenberry. Uh, There's a couple others. I mean, there's somebody from Seattle. I want to say, you know, is is that like the best upgrade that you can make? It's probably easier than going the draft route with it. Uh, Robert Hunt uh, is a guard, but like, you know, I don't know. Is that somebody that they might like want to look at potentially? Um, I know that there's other names that I'm forgetting about, but there's I would think just based on. The Lucas Patrick situation last two years—that that is the first place that they look because you got to make sure that there's a symbiotic connection between the center and the quarterback. And watching some of the struggles in the in the passing game that were predicated off of the offensive line, um, particularly the center position, I, that's got to be your first priority. And it's not that Lucas Patrick—I mean, you got to give him credit for all the Bears fans who aren't happy with his play and, and we're ready to, you know, push him out the door a year ago. Like the guy has waited on his moment. He was supposed to be like, you know,
0: it was supposed to be his line. It,
1: well, yeah, initially. And then he gets hurt. And then this past year it was supposed to be Cody White here going back to center and then Tevin Jenkins. And then of course Jenkins gets hurt in Indianapolis during joint practices. And then lo and behold, reliable Lucas Patrick is back in the lineup at center, like reliability. It's a big part of it. So he may have had a below-average season. He may be a below-average player at best, but whoever they find as his replacement, you got to make sure that that reliability factor is part of that person's body of work because I don't know what it would have looked like, how much worse it would have looked like had they not been able to default to what they had. Um, Who else would have played center? Would it have been Doug Kramer? Would it have been... Um, them shuffling things around even further on the interior of, of the offensive line would it have been Cody Whitehair going back to center? Like, there's none yeah. of the options were great, but I like I think that this offense.
0: I wanted the mullet in there, a little Dan Feeney action. I like the other one too. To out out I it.
1: still don't really know what his role is going to be on this team. I think that's a tough one because I mean, but they, also like they gave up a six round pick. So what? that's, a, yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. that's a draft pick for the guy. Like what
0: you what you got in. What you got out of Dan Feeney this season in the spots, spot plays he had to make, I think you got the yeah. value that you I think him it like.
1: was fine. I think anybody who overreacted yeah. to that and said, oh, why'd they give up a six for him? Well, you're so you're going to get somebody in a six round draft pick who has less experience at all three positions than Dan Feeney. It's just, yeah, it is a little weird that they didn't play him much at all. But, um, no, I mean they're, Darnell Wright is a star uh, in the making, yeah. and more time he'll be. He could be a you know a perennial Pro Bowler for this team. Nate Davis had his moments, uh, but they paid him. They're not gonna. I doubt they're gonna be getting rid of him just because there were. Gonna yeah, be he's here. gonna be here. Center, that's an you need an upgrade there. What do they do with Tevin Jenkins? Do they want to offer him an extension this off season? Are they too worried about the durability factor? Do they go and get another guard in free agency to bring in as competition? That feels like they, they. I don't think. I don't think it could hurt, but I don't think that's going to be a top priority. And there are still people who think that they should go get a left tackle. That Braxton Jones isn't it? I honestly think Braxton Jones will be fine next year. I really do. I think that. But it's not your top priority. Like to me, if you're looking at like it's main priorities, priority. like yeah. if you're not spending, I don't. I will. Spenner's I will pay hundred dollars if they go and draft a left tackle in the first round. That's not happening this year. Mm. Um, I just, but like, there's there's other positions I, I of that, need, and I think that he has been yeah. more than serviceable at that position, and he's developed and he's continuing to develop. Like talking to Chris Morgan about where Braxton Jones. Is at the end of year two and where he's going to be, like, he made such big strides. Like, you know, we talked about his hand placement at the beginning of the year, said he wanted to be more powerful against a bull rush. He worked at those things. And if he has like his next checklist of things that include getting better in areas that were deficient in his game this year, then I think he's gonna be in a pretty decent spot.
0: Yeah. I I, I just with Braxton to me, the the thing is. I'm still seeing you get beat at the things you were getting beat at to start the season, which is that bull rush. And it's not to say he hasn't gotten better at it, but it's still his biggest weakness. And I feel like there are guys in the draft who, in the first round, you could go get. That might be the Darnell right on the left side that I can just plug him in there, and he's going to be a lot more proficient at that. I would love to see a Joe Alt there. Olufoshano, I feel like he... I feel like he's first round Braxton Jones. Like he's definitely better, mm-hmm. but he's what Braxton Jones is right now. And in that situation, if you were going to take Olu, I'd let Braxton just keep developing. And
1: let's say they stick with one and nine, just to make it, make it right. easy not throw any trades out there. Like Caleb Williams at number one.
0: neither of them will be at nine
1: that's a receiver or it's probably dallas turner the edge rusher and let's see like let's see if there's other names that uh emerge from the senior bowl and from the you know start pro day schedule in a couple weeks um i just i i think that there's maybe it's a day two pick i don't think that based on like the other needs that they have that are more glaring right now on the offensive line alone i think that they could be okay getting away with keeping uh braxton jones there for another year
0: well, that's why I think, right, even if you go, I think for me, center, center maybe number you one. need to be... You, that, that's your number on one position that you have to get time. right. And the name that intrigues me the most with that in free agency right now is Evan Brown because of the connection with Shane yes, Waldron. that's
1: who I was for... I'm sorry. That was the name that I, I knew that was slipping my mind because he was with him
0: yeah, 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 that, that, yeah, as the center position. Mm-hmm. But he was basically right. Like, he's a... He is Seattle's Lucas Patrick. Like, he... Now... He was a little bit more consistent with snapping the football, a little bit more consistent in run blocking. I felt like he did a lot better job run blocking than pass blocking, which maybe is a bigger concern than anything because we want to get the quarterback going here. But he was proficient at all areas. And to me, he looked like over 16 games what we wanted Lucas Patrick to be when we signed him. He played 16 of the 17 games this season. A lot of good production out of him, but He's just okay. He's a guy who's like, okay. And so to me, do you redo kind of what they just did in Seattle where, uh, uh I'm, I'm, the, we, Olu Fashano was this year. Last year they drafted Olu, Oluwati, Oluwati. I forget what the young center's name is, uh, how to say his last name. I'm sorry. But he was a guy that they were like, you're ready, but not ready. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to throw you to the wolves. We're going to sign Evan Brown. He's going to be here for a year and then we'll put you out there.
1: Yeah. And that's, I I will always say this about offensive linemen, like the Quentin Williams, not Quentin Williams, um, Quentin Nelson, like those guys are so few and far between. I remember like and I'm just going to go back to another Minnesota example when Garrett Bradbury was drafted 18th in 2019. Like, he was undersized, and in the system he was in, they struggled. There was a point in time where they're like, Mm-mm, not going to pick up this guy's fifth-year option. Like, there, those talks of, like, man, we should move on from this guy. And lo and behold, yeah. he gets in a new system, a offshoot of the McVanahan. Uh, uh, the the it should be called. They should just call all the that's names. What, that's um, it right there. Yeah. We
0: just named they, it.
1: Uh, you know, with Kevin O'Connell having coached under Sean McVay, like, and that blocking system got gave him a career year. Like, So maybe that is, um, you know, and of course, like when you draft somebody in the, on the offensive line, you need like, unless it's a Darnell, Wright, Like he, you know, but he was a top 10 draft pick for a reason more often than not, you're going to have guys who struggle as rookies. um, And even Darnell Wright would be honest and all of his coaches would be honest that there were some moments where he, he really, you know, had some growing pains this year, but Taking a, a, a f- taking a a gamble, not even a gamble, but just like making a pick on somebody like that has such a high ceiling, high reward. You can't really go wrong. But I think that that's in in two thousand twenty four when they want to win next year. I think that they can't really take the gamble on the development guy on the offensive line that they need to get somebody in there who can perform right away.
0: Yeah, it's it's the the O line. I think that center position is number one on my list. More
1: than wide receiver.
0: Yes, because just the like I feel like wide wide receiver like I'd say it's one in one A right because yes wide receiver opens things up for you, but that's half a second where the ball's just left, and now you got to reset yourself, go through your drop back, and like that's so important, especially when you know at other positions Nate Davis struggled this season. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to deal with, you know, Nate Davis went through a lot this year. I'm willing to bring the human element in for Nate Davis and hope he has a bounce back year. But Tevin Jenkins going down with some injuries. So now you've got, you know, uh, uh, Larry Borum sliding over there. Jatir Carter sliding over. Like, there there were so many up and down pieces there that you just didn't have that half a second to waste on the football's over here. I got to come here. Now I got to bring it back, reset myself, and now start my drop back. Like, mm-hmm. I would say that's probably your biggest need this offseason. Wide guess, receiver to me, yeah, it, it's wide receivers one A because right now when you're set, but it also your depends are your DJ and is DJ like. Moore. If
1: you have Caleb Williams here, will the offensive yeah. line issues be as magnified as they have been in moments with Justin Fields? Like, I, I, everything is a domino effect. You got to like get the quarterback spot right before you can make any of these calls on what the offensive line is going to look like
0: if we do go quarterback here right let's say we do draft Caleb Williams first overall do you look at any of these veteran quarterbacks who are out there and say I want to bring them in to start in front of Caleb just to get him acclimated to the league or do you throw Caleb right into the fire because there's some names out there that you could realistically even drafting Caleb number one overall right like Kirk Cousins is number one on the list. He's a. And he's he gonna wants get paid. Million, Hell no! Don't even
1: bring that one up. Um, <laughs> I think oh God, this question's tough because Ryan Poles came from a place that drafted Patrick Mahomes. What was it? Tenth, eleventh, twelfth in 2017? One, one of those areas, and they had yeah. him sit for a year. But they also had Alex Smith there, who was a polished, established, good veteran having played in San Francisco, and then with Kansas City before Washington. I have a hard time believing that you draft the quarterback number one overall and don't have that guy play right away, especially when he has been touted as this otherworldly talent in ways that the last number one pick at quarterback has not been the same. It's not the same way. I... I could see them wanting to upgrade the room, um, although they really like Tyson Bajan. Like, I'm not. They like Tyson. Know, Tyson, I, Tyson, yeah. I don't think, going anywhere. I think that they think he's a solid backup. Um, but, you know, where else they could go? Like, I don't think it would hurt to have an experienced veteran on the cheap in that room. Um, yeah. Trying to think of names because of course the names this year.
0: Josh Dobbs maybe uh, uh, Josh, Josh Dobbs. Dobbs who, he's like, of course, Ryan Tannehill is, is going to
1: be out there this year. Um Well, well yeah, like I don't, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't yeah. know what what does he want to get paid? Like he's still at this yeah. point of his career where he probably thinks he can start somewhere. So, but like, it,
0: do we want Jameis Winston just for inspiration?
1: No, I would say that's <laughs> like a major no. I don't if he's. <laughs> You don't want him influencing your young quarterback and telling him to go rogue, like uh, and to not like completely disregard coaching. I think having good influences in the room and you know, not having I'm not saying Jameson's not a high character guy. Look, the team loves him, but that was such a bizarro mo- moment. And they actually restructured his contract. I think he's still like the way that they like fixed it, I think he's technically under contract still for two thousand twenty four with the Saints. They restructured something. Not because of what happened, from what I was told, not because of what happened like with that Saints uh, Falcons the way the game finished, but his there was something that they did can it was either a conversion or something else with his contract that
0: just it's just just hilarious. Jameis is Jameis is literally one of the funniest NFL players I've ever seen because it's just like, what are you doing? Like, do you know you're in the NFL? Like, you act like you're a regular. Just everyday dude,
1: but like on the field. Yeah, he's an interesting dude for sure.
0: (laughs) He's hilarious. I I I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of what the Bears do here. Maybe I don't know. A little Flacco love, little Flacco love. Maybe just I don't think I just don't think it would
1: hurt because we we've seen like young quarterbacks. Um, obviously not C.J. Stroud. He didn't need nobody like to start in front of him, but other guys who. Have needed the time. Like maybe Anthony Richardson would have benefited from sitting behind Gardner Minshew for a year, but it's the optics element of all of that where it's like, man, you draft this guy fourth overall, whatever it was, like you gotta play him right away. I think we've learned that you don't necessarily have to, but you're also not gonna hold somebody back if they're ready to go.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the thing, right? Like you could sign somebody. That's why I think a Josh Dobbs or a Flacco would make sense because you could sign them you know they're going to be great in the room. You know they're going to teach whoever they need to teach in the room. Okay, this is what you want to look for here. Don't make these mistakes, things like that. But, right, that's those are the guys that as training camp goes on, it's like, yeah, we're coming into the season. Flacco's our number one. That's our guy right there. Hey, you know, we're going to give the young guys some shots today at uh, with the first team just a little bit. We're not going to push them too much. And then, like, halfway through the day, it's just like, yeah, we're going to go with uh, – in, in our first preseason game, we're going to go with Caleb Williams as our starting quarterback the rest of the way through. Like, wait, I thought Flacco was starting. Like, the, those are the guys that you feel good about being in the sure. room, teaching the young guy, being a sounding board, but also, right? Because like, I think the biggest thing for Caleb is going to learn what being a, a pro is mm-hmm.
1: about. And, I mean, you don't want to create a pseudo-quarterback competition where there doesn't need to be one the way that this team did right. in 2021. But having somebody teach you how to be a pro – I think it it cannot be overstated because so many people expect that, oh, you are a highly talented, highly drafted player coming out of college. You should know these things. No, it it takes time to learn how to do that. And I don't know if Justin Fields had the best example. I think he honestly had to learn on the fly. I'm not saying anything negative about Andy Dalton or Nick Foles, but he went into a tenuous situation with guys who wanted his job and thought they were supposed to have his job. Sometimes people don't go out of their way to help you. Um, And so having a young quarterback who is, you know, whether it's, you know, if it is Caleb Williams, who is going to be your future, making sure you set them up for success is more than just like the pieces you put around them at positions. It's it's, It's who you have in the room talking to them on a daily basis.
0: For sure. Hopefully, we see some of that development here. Let us know what you guys feel. The biggest offensive need for the Chicago Bears is heading into this 2024 season. Only got a couple more weeks of football left, and one of them is the Pro Bowl. So, really, just (laughs) one more week. I'm going to miss it, but we're not going to stop here. We're going to keep this thing going Monday through Friday. Stay in tune with us. We'll be back tomorrow with J-Mac and possibly a special guest. We'll see if that ends up going through. As always, man, it's your boy Pat the Designer. Back at it again for Courtney Cronin. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Bear done. One love. Peace.